Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, where I am joined this week by a special guest who's actually not joining me in person, at least not yet, although we are making plans to get together sometime soon. But I want to welcome back to the program the uh, owner, the uh, the kind of head honcho, if you will, at Tournament Poker Edge, and also the uh, streaming superstar on twitch.tv slash killingbird. It's Derek Tenbush, everybody. How are you, Derek? I'm doing good, man. And I got to tell you, head honcho sounds good. I like that. I'm, I'm changing my business card to head honcho. <laughs> it's a new job <laughs> title for you, head honcho. I like I it. I like it. You know, it's a poker site. Do we really need a CEO of a poker Ex- site? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's be head honcho. How about like poker dude? That's a good job title for you. There we go. Head poker Chief, dude. Maybe chief poker officer. <laughs> CPO. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So uh, this week we had uh, a really good time. I somehow made it to day two of the uh, Venom PKO $5 million guaranteed tournament on America's card room. That was a $2,650 buy-in where the bounties started at $625, which makes sense. Half the prize pool to the bounties, and then half to the regular prize pool. And then, of course, when you get a bounty, you have to, like, half of it goes into your bounty. So, yeah, that's how that math works out. So 25% of the buy-in ends up being a bounty on my head. Uh, I had a great time playing in this event. I somehow finished day one of my flight was 1B. I, I finished up as chip leader, and I had already won like almost $9,000 worth of bounties by the time day one had ended. So I was essentially on cloud nine. And then why don't you tell the people what uh, generous offer you made at that point? Yeah, it was kind of cool because I was, I was just streaming my normal stream whenever it was last week can't even remember what day it was, but um, and somebody, one of the viewers in my chat was like, hey, I see your buddy is chip leader of the Venom. And so then there was kind of like this sweat where I was like, oh, which buddy? <laughs> I was all excited to like open up the lobby and find out who it was. So I went over to the Venom PKO lobby, opened it up, and of course saw your name up at the top there. And I was like, oh, that's so sick. And then and then a couple people in this chat suggested, well, dude, why don't you, uh, why don't you stream it? Um, and I know you had, I know you've, you know, kind of dabbled with streaming a little bit, but I was pretty sure you wouldn't be streaming it. Um, so I was like, well, yeah, if you guys want to do that, I'll, I'll play a table of my own, and then we'll watch Clayton's table as well, and, and kind of root him on. So of course I hit you up first because I didn't want to like, I don't, I, I mean, I've, I've railed other people's tables before without asking, but I was just like, eh, I don't really want to put any like undue pressure on the guy. But I mean, you know, you go on stage all the time, you're used to the, <laughs> the pressure of the spotlight. Um, so yeah, so everybody was into it. It was uh, it was really fun. We had a blast doing it. Um, at least you know I think I and the viewers did, and you popped in a bunch and, and kind of like would 
would tease us a little bit with what your hands may or may not have been on occasion in some big pots. And uh, it was really cool. And I think people learned some stuff, too, because um, I think they saw a level of aggression uh, in particular with you that they don't usually see from me because I'm the resident nit. Um, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cool to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you made that offer, I mean, I jumped at the opportunity. I, I have tried tw- Twitch a few times. Um, the basic problem is that my, my setup isn't, isn't right for Twitch. I don't have a home computer in my New York City apartment. I just have my laptop and it's pretty yeah. hard to really do a successful Twitch stream with a laptop maybe if you had the world's most powerful laptop plus an extra monitor or something you could make it happen but i have a not a terrible laptop but it's not like very high end or anything um it's great for my purposes but when i've tried to twitch when i've tried to stream on twitch using this laptop i've had you know a lot of lag issues frames whatever they call it where you're just kind of behind and Mm -hmm. things don't match up right and a few crashes and I was like, you know what, as much as I'd like to be a Twitch streamer, I need to get the right setup going first. And it just hasn't been that big of of a priority. That said, I was feeling the love already. Uh, you know, when I finished so strong on day one B and people noticed that I was kind of at the top of the leaderboard at that point. Although by day two, I was actually in second place because the final day one, of course, as always in every tournament ever, <laughs> had the biggest uh, field, and so you know, there were a lot more bounties to collect on that day, and a lot more chips in play if you played one D as opposed to one B. Um, right. So yeah, but I still ended up in second place and not that far off the chip lead heading into day two. Uh, the idea of having you and all of your normal uh, fans on Twitch kind of railing me and rooting for me. You know, I, I think poker and comedy are both really lonely careers. You know, there's a lot of time that I spend by myself trying to do the thing that I've worked very hard to get, you know, good at or at least semi-proficient at, whether we're talking about comedy or poker. And, like, having, like, a team in my corner, like, people cheering for me and rooting for me, uh, it was nice. It was nice. There's yeah. been a lot of times in my poker life where I've kind of felt like, even when I've had like a lot of success, it's like I'm all alone. Like, woohoo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little anticlimactic. Like no one to high five or whatever. But you guys were there, uh, you know, rooting for me and cheering for me. But yeah, I was also concerned that perhaps my opponents might have been familiar with me or familiar with you or just familiar with Google and figured out that we were doing this. So I didn't usually want to admit right away what my hand was in case they were lurking in the chat to find out what yeah. was going on. But yeah, it was a good time, man. Day two was a lot of fun um, having everybody cheering for me and also being able to kind of do a little bit of teaching. Like when I, whenever I was card dead, I would say, you know, since I'm not playing a hand right now, and I was one tabling, by the way, because... Yeah. You know, when you're when you're up for a million dollars, what other tournament is going to matter? You know, first prize in this thing is going to be about a million dollars. So I figured I should just focus on that. But when I had downtime, I, I decided to jump in on your Twitch channel and kind of say, you know, that was a tough laydown. What do you guys think I had? And kind of get a, a sense of what your viewers would consider a tough laydown in certain spots. 
mm-hmm. or the, in other cases I would give them multiple choice. Like I had one of these four hands, so that way if my opponent is lurking, he wouldn't get perfect information. Although after a certain amount of time, I would tell them which which hand was correct, the correct answer in the multiple choice problem, or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> people seem to get a kick out of it. I try to make it entertaining, but it definitely made it more fun for me uh, having everybody. Uh, you're rooting for me. I don't know. That's uh, I'm starting to see the appeal of why you prefer to play poker with an audience. Yeah, yeah, that that part was pretty cool, and and I really enjoyed that sort of interaction you were talking about with the with you know putting up multiple choice hand options and things like that. And it was kind of cool to see like, like some of the people were doing a pretty good job of of you know ranging you if you will uh, in some spots. You know, I thought that was pretty cool to see. Um, and yeah, and I kept telling people like, like this is kind of what you need to do to get better. Like you, you need to talk to other people about hands and spots, and you know, you, you run through enough of these sort of scenarios, and you might learn that you're, you know, too loose in some spots or too tight in some spots, or make, you know, making folds you maybe shouldn't be making. Um, and that, yeah, that was that was really fun to watch, and I, I definitely enjoyed it. So I appreciate you uh, allowing us to come along for the ride. And I mean, and you had a tough table too, which kind of made it an even more enjoyable dynamic for us. I know you kept saying table change, please. Table yeah, change. no, I yeah. Um, there were a lot of but, crushers but for, at my table for day two. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. But from an action standpoint, because I mean, there were very few pots that were just like someone raised and then everyone folded like that did not happen very often (laughs) no people were going hard tooth and nail and also by by day two now the bounties start at 625 dollars um you know that's what you would collect for knocking somebody out uh so if you if you want a pot on the first hand of day day one and you busted somebody you would win 625 but after you won that then now half of that money or the other, how do you explain this? Now, the my bounty would go up to nine thirty-seven fifty, which is how much you would win for knocking me out if I already collected one bounty. So on and on and on. The more bounties you collect, the more valuable uh, your bounty becomes, and then the more your opponents are incentivized to try to bust you. So I love this tournament uh, format because, as you saw from watching me play, I don't mind the action. Like I like getting mixing it up and, and getting in there. Uh and so it this this type of tournament I haven't played that many PKOs in my in my career. All the ones I've played have been online. I actually don't know of any live PKO opportunities out there. And not every site that I play on even offers them. But the ones that I've played have all been on ACR and I, I have a really strong track record. I just think that the format itself uh lends itself to my playing style i guess is the best way to say it because i'm not afraid to you know i I, i'm not scared of variance i enjoy variance so let's go you know if there's if there's an extra you know if somebody has a three thousand dollar bounty that's a whole buy-in for this tournament yeah just by busting that one player so very often it is it is correct to take the worst of it and hope to get lucky and that's kind of what happened to me a lot on day one which is why i ended with the i mean i wasn't behind in every such pot but when i needed a card i got it you know i just ran super pure uh, on day one so i thought i was playing pretty well but 
probably not well enough to have the chip lead and nine thousand dollars worth of bounties already. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the poker gods helped out a lot, and uh, then you saw what kind of uh, fire I was thrown into on day two. I had a bad seat at a tough table, and I was just you know trying to keep up as best I could for day two, but. You know, overall, it, it was really fun. I've never been kind of the uh, focus of somebody else's Twitch channel before. And right. for me, that was a new experience. And I guess the entertainer in me came out because when I had downtime, I definitely wanted to interact with the chat, whether making jokes or with doing a little bit of coaching or teaching or whatever you want to call it, just kind of explaining my plays, getting the sense that some of your viewers didn't fully understand the PKO strategy and how it is tremendously different from a typical MTT that you might be used to playing. Yeah, that aspect of it is still very new to me as well. I mean, I remember, I, I love this format I from an enjoyment standpoint. I remember watching like Danny M13 and other guys playing on Poker Stars and getting to play the PKOs and I'm like, I want to do that, but nobody in America offered it. Uh, so they finally, you know, ACR finally added it and I would play nothing but them if that's if if they offer enough of them. That being said, I haven't really mastered that art because there was a couple of spots where I was like, "Ugh, that's a little weird," and you're like, "Nope, that was a good call." I mean, not even hands you played, just the hands I saw other people play, and I was like, "Whoa!" I mean, there was one time where a guy called like two all ins with like nine deuce suited or something, and they weren't big all ins; they were small, but they were still spots that I probably would have folded. And yeah, I remember the spots eight. you're talking about. It was day two, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have that hand in front of me, but if I remember correctly, uh, he's in the big blind holding nine of spades, deuce of spades, so at least he's suited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're going to have nine deuce, you want to be suited, guys. All right, write that down. Uh, <laughs> it was like the button shoved with a short stack, and he had like $3,000 worth of bounties, and the small blind also shoved with a slightly bigger stack, and uh, he had like another 3,000 in bounties. So really, um, because it was only about, I think, a 15 big blind shove, and there were two of them, totaling $6,000 worth of bounties. And this guy, it was only a third of his stack, and we were already in the money. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a no-brainer call with seven deuce, with tray deuce, with nine deuce, with literally any two cards, because it's just so valuable you know, one way of measuring this, and there's a lot of debate about, you know, PKOs are relatively new, so they're not exactly solved, which is one reason I like playing them. Um, but, you know, the closer you get to the end of the tournament, the uh, the uh, the greater a percentage of a starting stack you should count the bounties as. And I don't, there's not an easier way for me to say that, but let's just say on the first hand of the tournament. Uh, a bounty would be worth 25% of the starting stack. So in this tournament, you start with 300,000 chips. So if you were just in the big blind and it folded to the small blind on the very first hand of the tournament and the guy shoved into you, no one would ever do this, but just to, <laughs> you know, just to, uh, you know, kind of illuminate the point, the small blind shoved into you for 300,000 and you're in the big blind with the same stack, you would add... 25% of the starting stack, which is 75,000 chips, to the pot to determine your actual pot odds 
because that accounts for the bounty. Mm. All right. And as the tournament goes on, that 25% goes all the way up to like 47 or 48% when your head's up. So, and there's a lot of math behind this that obviously we're not going to get into on this podcast, but it basically means that you have to give more action in those all-in pre-flop spots. So if you memorized your hand charts and, you know, you have, uh, what's that app that tells you whether or not you're supposed to call or not, shove, uh, oh, yeah. snap uh, shove, snap right? Shove. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so like what snap shove says to tell you, you're not going to listen to that anymore. You're going to be much, much looser especially when you're playing against an opponent or two opponents in this case that have sizable bounties for you to collect. I mean, half the prize pool is just the bounties. So when you can get one, it often behooves you to do so. So yeah, you guys saw him call with nine do suited and a lot of people in the chat were like, that's a weird call. And I'm like, nope, that's totally standard. It's a third of his stack. He can win $6,000 worth of bounties, which is like two and a half buy-ins to this tournament. Plus, we're already in the money anyway. So it's not going to kill him to spend a third of his stack trying to pick up those bounties there with any two cards. So, yeah. And some of, some of these kind of math problems are fun for me um, as I try to work through it because, like I say, it's not solved anyway. And it often helps me arrive at uh, playing a hand that I would otherwise fold. And because I'm not a big folder, that's fun for me. So <laughs> it, it really does suit my style a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I have stuck pretty much to the relatively lower buy-ins of that format because you know they have them up in the like $600 range and stuff on on a relatively regular basis. But because I have not sort of even begun to master that that, that bounty side of things, I kind of stick to like the $55 and below because I know I'm missing some of those spots. Um, but yeah, it was it was very interesting to see, and the guy won the pot, so it's obviously a good call. Because you know, oh yeah, he win, won the pot. Results oriented <laughs> thinking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to be clear too with everyone who might be listening to this. Um, I ran deep in this tournament, but I'm not uh, by any means an expert in PKOs. In fact, I reached out to you and I said, you know, I had a few days to prepare, and I was like, you know, I haven't really done a whole lot of these, and I've never done one. At this buy-in level, I mean, how many $3,000 or $2,500 PKOs are there available to American players nowadays? Like, it's probably just a few every year, and this is the first one I've ever played. So I wanted to um, talk with somebody, and Danny N uh, does have – Danny Noseworthy, uh, one of our TPE coaches, does have uh, a hand history review where he discusses – you know, PKO strategy and stuff, but it's not at this buy-in level, but it's probably more like the types of stuff that our listeners are probably playing. And there's a lot of really good information in there, but yeah, I I don't pretend to be uh, (laughs) an expert in this format. I just enjoy the format and I kind of get the basics of the math, um, at least from a theoretical standpoint, but I'm sure that I made hundreds of mistakes in the, you know, thousand hands or so that I played uh, in this event. So, um, yeah, not, not like I think I'm so great at this, but it's definitely an interesting format and it is pretty drastically different, especially in those pre flop all in situations where those bounties really do change what would normally be a standard no brainer fold into an obvious fist pump call and try to get lucky. So yeah, that, that makes it fun for me. I will say too that I actually did get to play one of these live, which is 
weird because I think it's maybe the only place I've ever seen one offered. <laughs> How does that um, work? Yeah, it was at Run It Up Reno uh, two years ago or whatever. I, I I can't keep track of time anymore because we lost a year. Yeah, no um, one knows but, what year it is. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but like two or three years ago, and I, if I recall, the way they basically did it is that they, when when you would knock somebody out, a floor person would come and hand you, uh, casino chips for essentially half that person's bounty, and then they would hand and then they would give you their their bounty tokens or their bounty chips for the other half so that it got added to yours. Right. So it was kind of like a manual process, which made it kind of complicated, but that event's small enough that I think it was not that hard to do. Like, I don't think they could ever run one at the World Series of Poker as an example. Yeah. Because there's just so many, you know, there'd be so many knockouts happening that they would just not have enough floor people for it. Well, that's why, uh, you know, last January 2020, I mean, pre-pandemic, when they announced the uh, proposed World Series of Poker schedule, and there was that event that really intrigued me, that mystery bounty tournament that they were going to do. And I'm really hoping when they announce what the live schedule will be for this fall in Vegas, the World Series of Poker is going to be in in Vegas this fall. I'm hoping they they put that event in because they never actually ran it. But, yeah, some of the bounties were going to be worth like $1,000, and some of the bounties were going to be worth... I think one of them was going to be a quarter million or something like that, which and you wouldn't know until after the tournament which ones you had collected, and it seemed like really intriguing to me, and and that's something they could do at the mm-hmm. WSOP, you know, rather than trying to keep track of, you know, nine thousand players and all their progressive bounties and who knocked out what and how, what's <laughs> half of that. I mean, there are so many mistakes that could be made in that format. Um, but yeah, like just having bounty chips where you don't actually know what they're worth until you go to cash them in would be super fun. And I hope that they'll do that in the fall. That was one of the things that really disappointed me about not having a World Series of Poker last summer was that I was so looking forward to that tournament specifically. It sounded like a great idea to me, a mystery bounty. I just collected some amount of money for busting that guy, and I don't know how much yet. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That that would be fun. Yeah. Um, speaking of the World Series of Poker, this is like we're going to kind of learn this uh, together right now. But people have been asking me what my plans are uh, for the WSOP in the fall. And I keep telling people well, I'm waiting on news of the football schedule because the Dolphins are playing in Vegas this fall. And so I, what I'd like to do is go to the World Series when that game is happening. So I've just kind of been waiting. I haven't made any plans as far as the World Series goes. Uh, but the NFL dropped their schedule 29 minutes ago, um, and they actually play in Vegas four days before the World Series starts, which uh. isn't too bad. Like, you know, I could come in, do that, and then, you know, visit some friends and hang out for a couple of days and then play some cards afterwards. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you could come for a week or two starting right around that football game. Uh, but, yeah, we were kind of hoping that it would be right smack dab in the middle of the schedule so that, yeah. you know, we could, like, play the Millionaire Maker. And if you bust, you can go with Derek to the <laughs> to the Dolphins game. You know, that would have been awesome. But, yeah, we can't control everything. So Yeah, that would have um, been ideal. But yeah. we'll take this as a, as a second option. Yeah, for sure. And it's cool that your team is going to be in Vegas uh, at the new stadium and everything else. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, more to follow, I I guess, about that. I know that it's a little early to start thinking about Vegas, but if you you push everything to where it normally is, like the 
we're about four months away from the World Series, right? So mm-hmm. normally we would start talking on the podcast in January, February about what the plans would be for the upcoming May, June. So it's not that different. We can start, we can start yeah. getting excited for Vegas whenever we want. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really, really happy that it's happening, though. So, uh, knock on wood, I mean, we're not completely out of the woods with this pandemic yet, but it does sound every day, I feel like I get more good news about, you know, infection rates and, you know, people getting vaccinated and and all that other stuff. So, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it. And Major League Baseball is doing fine. It looks like football, you know, went okay last year. A few teams had some problems, but they managed to to make the season happen, and they had a Super Bowl and everything. So those are good good signs. As well as EDC is going to happen as scheduled, so that's good news. Uh, that's the big uh, techno music festival that happens every year. So yeah, it's, it, these yeah. are good signs. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm getting excited. I've even started to talk about playing poker possibly live even before then so we'll see what we'll see what shakes out but it seems to be everything seems to be trending in the right direction for us so like you said knock on wood but uh let's get some cards in the air finally yeah <laughs> no doubt too long. no doubt well i obviously i brought a few hands uh <laughs> yeah for you if you're interested uh we have some pko hands um uh, i don't I didn't get to uh, review the hands from day two yet. My day one was actually eight days before day two. So I had a lot of time to like sit with these hands and, and figure out which ones I wanted to that I thought would be interesting for the for the podcast. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're just going to do day one for today, and I'll probably save some because I did have some good spots on day two as well. That would be fun to discuss, but I haven't had a chance to review them yet. So. I want to I want to stick with day one for now. Uh, So yeah, this first hand I want to talk about is uh, about halfway through day one. Um, The blinds were five thousand and ten thousand, and the average stack was about seven hundred thousand. So the average stack was about seventy bigs, which is pretty much where it stayed through most of the tournament. If you followed along with the average stack, it was a pretty deep stack tournament throughout because of the 20 minute levels and you know the big stack to begin with so uh there wasn't a ton of push and pray spots even Mm -hmm. as we got uh deeper into the event even right after the bubble burst there weren't that many tiny stacks like normally in most tournaments right after the bubble bursts uh you'll see like a lot of really just people with like one chip and a chair but in this tournament that was not the case so yeah, I remember looking uh, around the time of the bubble burst thing, and I was like, wow, there's only like a hand, like maybe two or three people that were under 10 big blinds, and everybody else was like, you know, 18, you know, the, so, the quote-unquote short stacks were in like the 18 to 25 range, and I'm like, this could be a long tournament. Yeah, exactly, and it is. It's a four-day online event, which is uh, almost unheard of. So, uh, yeah, as we record this on Wednesday, they're actually playing the final table right now. Uh, I'm not the type to go back and look and see if any of my opponents made the final table. Like once I'm out, I, I move on to the next thing. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> know who's playing. Guys. Yeah, I don't know who's playing that. I know people who do that and they want to like you know anti sweat whoever busted them or whatever. Like, no, I'm I'm done. I've moved on with my life. That's over now. All right. Yeah. So uh, like I said, it's 5k, 10k with a 1500 ante. We have three million in chips, and that is good for first place at the moment. 
halfway through day one. We're in first place with 3 million chips. Again, the average stack is about 700. So we have a, around four times the average stack. So, uh, yeah, we're killing it. Obviously, our M is 100. We have 300 big blinds. How else do you want me to say this? We have a lot of chips. <laughs> we have all of them. All yeah, of the chips. We're doing great. Um, now, and we're also at a pretty good table. Now, when I say a pretty good table, it's all relative. I mean, this is a $2,600 buy-in. There are very few players in this tournament who have no clue what they're doing, right? But of the tables that are out there, I feel like I'm at one of the better ones at this time. Um and that does impact my decision-making a bit. Uh, a really loose guy that's been uh, you know, kind of getting out of line a lot opens from second position, which is under the gun plus one. And he's only got like a starting stack. He's got 300,000 behind. So uh, he opens the, for the minimum to 20,000. And I'm right next to him on his left in third position with the queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds. Uh, before you tell me what you want to do, there are a couple of other big stacks at the table. One of them is in the small blind with two million, and the other one is in the big blind with 1.6 million. So those guys also have big stacks. Uh, the rest of the table is like right around average or even a little below that. Um, the original Razor has a bounty of 1300 meaning that's how much we would win for busting him not half of that but we will win that um and the other bounties at my table top out at around 2600 um our bounty for what it's worth is like almost 4000 at this point but being the chip leader no one can get it yet <laughs> <laughs> so uh with that information how do you want to play your queen ten of diamonds so when you say this guy's been getting out of line, would you also say that like this is the kind of guy you are very happy to be playing pots with post? Like you 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 well, you're down to go to the streets with a guy like this because you think he's maybe a little bit of a spew, or or is he just playing a lot of hands? Um, he's general? not exactly a spew, but he definitely is a little too loose aggressive before the flop and. A little too loose aggressive after the flop as well. He's not the type that you're just like dying to get in there with because he could literally have any two cards at any time. Right. Um, but yeah, like I'm very happy to be on his left. I'm happy to play pots with him. The thing to remember is he's got this awkward stack of 30 bigs. Right. So if we three bet him and he shoves and then we have to account for his $1,300 bounty. Um, do we want to call it off? It's only like 10% of our 3 million to call it off if that's what, what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Queen 10 of Diamonds is definitely an underdog to his raise 4-bet shove range from second position. So yeah, that's a consideration. Not to sway you in one direction or another, but yeah, that, that's worth that's thinking fair. about. Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, like. Because we have so many chips, I, I I think like these are the kind of hands we we kind of want to be playing, um, and you know we're going to be in position against this guy. I kind of part of me wants to raise to to three bet because then you know we kind of isolate and and, and get to play the pot heads up against him in position. 
But like you were saying, with that stack, it's kind of weird because when we do three bet and then he jams in our face, it's just kind of black. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe I think maybe just flatting here is cool. Yeah, I mean, any other tournament, if you three bet and then this guy comes over the top all in, it's a really easy fold, right? Yeah. But in this tournament, because he's got 1300 worth of bounties and Queen 10 isn't actually doing that bad if you ever you know plug it into a solver or you know an ICM eyes or whatever whatever kind of programs you like to plug hands into um, it's actually not doing that bad so when you when you factor in the bounties it's probably a call but a really close one and so why do you want to put yourself in that position especially when you're still in pretty early position yourself being third to act here uh, the problem with three betting is somebody could easily wake up behind us, and then that puts us in an even worse situation. So I elected to just call. By the way, I also don't mind if you want to fold. You know? Yeah, it, I, yeah, it's I think fine. It's definitely an option. It's totally fine to fold here. The only reason I didn't is because I felt comfortable at my table. I felt like I was a favorite at my table, and especially against this particular razor uh i wanted to to play with him but i would i did have to fade the possibility that things could get really out of control to my left it wasn't really that kind of table it was the kind of table where we did see a lot of flops so i decided to call but yeah if your instinct here is you know why do you want to call you're under the gun plus two and it's already been a raise you only have queen 10 suited just throw your hand away move on that is yeah. totally fine, and I support that as well. I decided to get in there um, and kind of breaking my rule of playing very few pots from early position, but the circumstances warranted it in this case. So we call, and the action folds around to the small blind, who is a decent reg. Um, he's got reggy reg reg numbers. We're talking like 22, 16, with 8% 3-bet and... 2.2 post-flop aggression, like hmm. all the things you look at, these are like the numbers that regs have. And I have a lot of hands on this guy. I've played other tournaments with him. He's that that guy. He plays like you're like you're supposed to play, right? Yeah. Similar numbers to like uh, Snost and Lost would have on this site, like somebody like that, right? Right. He's probably a little tighter. He's a bad example. More like a Jared Smith would have. It's probably like about like his kind of if people know the difference between them. They've both yeah. been guests on the podcast, guys, so go back and listen and find <laughs> out how they both play. Uh, so anyway, yeah, let's say um, he three bets to, uh, where is it? Yeah, he makes it 106, and he's got 2 million behind. So he makes it 106. The original razor uh, folds. Everybody folds back to me, and there's no one between us. So if I call... I'll close the action. If I call, I will be in position with Queen Ten of Diamonds against a Reggie Reg Reg. Um, I'm getting two to one on a call pre-flop for what it's worth. What do we want to do? I think I'm sort of in the opposite position where I was last time, or, or maybe where you were, where you elected the call, but you would be fine with a fold. I think in this place, I'd be okay with a call. But I think I would personally elect to fold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the case for folding is you know that this player, even though he's got like an 8% three bet, um, 
it's unlikely that he's going to be three betting eight percent of the time from the small blind when it's yeah. gone raise call in early position, right? I mean, with those circumstances, his range is going to be much stronger than his typical three betting spot. Um, so Queen Ten suited here is an underdog for sure to his range for putting in 106 here not to mm. say that he'll never be bluffing but it just it doesn't feel like a bluff spot most players don't three bet bluff when it's been a raise from second position and then a flat from third position that's not a spot where a lot of guys are like oh this looks like a great opportunity for me to pick up some dead money because we're both supposed to have something yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, so if you want to fold for that reason, that's fine. However, the guy has 200 bigs. So why don't we just play some deep stack poker in position and you know try to use our positional advantage plus the fact that our hand flops a lot of different possibilities. You know, It's a fun hand to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2 to 1 is not bad pre-flop. So I decided to call. But again, for those who want to fold, I'm fine with that. You know, the point of calling in the first place was that we wanted to play a pot against that loose guy, not against this reggie reg. So it's fine right. if you want to fold. But you know me. I like to give action. Another 86000 out of my $3 million. <laughs> Sure, what the hell. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Let's see what happens. I figure I can use position, and I can you know, I'll p- probably play pretty decently, and he probably won't put too much queen-10 into my range. So... Uh, yeah. th- for all those reasons, it's fine to call, especially deep stacked. All right. So yeah, it's the kind of hand, the kind of hand too that I don't think is going to get you in trouble a ton because it's not like you're going to go broke on a ten high board or anything. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, go you know, crazy. You're, you're, if I you're make more looking. Pair. You're more looking to draw. You know, you're looking to flop more like combo draws or flush draws or you know two pair type hands. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I do call, and we're going to see a flop. There's 250,000 in the middle. The effective stack is 1.9 million. That's my opponent's stack. And the SPR is around 8. And the flop comes. How do you like this one, Derek? King of hearts, jack of diamonds, deuce of spades. So we have the open ender. Love it. We also have backdoor diamond draw, which is fun as well. Yeah. So our opponent leads... For 94k into 254, which is the most reggae uh, continuation <laughs> bet you'll ever see. It's just over one third of the pot. Uh, he's supposed to have a lot of ace king, pocket aces, hands like that in his range. Yada yada yada. It's the right size to get me to call when I have an inferior hand like jack ten suited or maybe pocket nines, like those kind of hands that might want to want to call right so mm-hmm. he's playing exactly the way uh the the coaching sites and like most of the really good players play nowadays a little on the loose side but definitely like right there in the uh, winning player statistical categories so i all that to say this sizing doesn't tell us anything right and the fact that he's bet also doesn't tell us anything because it's a better flop for his range than mine. Mm. Right? And he's the one who's yeah. supposed to have all the big pairs and the king, you know, ace-king and stuff like that. Yeah, and he knows he can pretty much get us to fold, like, 
you know, all our sort of like sixes, sevens, fives kind of hands that we would have just flatted that early position raise with. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, this this could literally be, like you said, ace, king, aces, but it could also be, you know, tens. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we block tens, but you get the idea. No, it could. It could be the nuts as well. Like, he should make this same yep. bet with a lot of his range. I mean, this is a full, this is the kind of bet you want to make in his shoes, having been the pre-flop aggressor. Uh, you want to make this bet with your full range, I think, on this board. So um, his bet is correct, no matter what he has, and I don't mind it, but it doesn't tell me anything, so it's that's why it's hard to play against good opponents. Anyway, uh, I decide to just call here with my open-ender. I hope I didn't reveal that too soon. Um, there <laughs> no, is a- I, th- I think that's pretty straightforward, because I, I can't imagine a reason we would ever want to raise here, I don't think. Like, all we do is blow ourselves off all of the equity we have if if he decides to be like, okay, well, I happen to have aces, so... Well, I mean, the go. advantage of raising, the case to be made for raising is that you could get him to fold a better hand. We have queen high. So mm. if he... If, if we said he should make this bet with his full range... What if that range includes pocket tens? Maybe it should. And so he just wants to fire the the C bet on you know King Jack, Deuce, but now he has to fold pocket tens. Of course, we have one of the tens, making it much less likely that he has that exact hand. But what if he three bet with like Ace Jack suited, and now he's just firing a C bet, and now we put in this big raise here. You you can get him to fold those hands, right? Sure. Yeah. The problem is one of those hands is pocket queens, and we have a queen, so that sucks. And one of those hands is pocket tens, and we have a ten, so that also sucks. Yeah, that's why I think his range is weighted way more towards aces, kings, ace, king, jacks. I guess he could play jacks this way, too. Yeah, for sure. I think so. You know, you three bet pre-flop. You've got pocket jacks. You know... You've also observed that this player who's in second position, the original Razor, has been a little uh, on the loose aggressive side. So you, you just want to three bet. You know, Jax are doing great against this guy's opening 40% of the pots. Jax is doing great. And the fact that I called doesn't really tell you that much. So, yeah, I would three bet in his shoes with Jax. I would three bet tens here for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that those hands are in his range. He could have the nuts. We don't block the nuts. So, yeah, I, I can't rule out pocket kings, pocket jacks, uh, as well as pocket aces, right, which is a, yeah. a really good flop for aces, actually. So, yeah, all right. So that's why I just called. But there is a case to be made for semi-bluffing here, and most of it is you just have queen high, and it would be great to get him to fold. Now Makes or sense. later, whatever he has, right? Mm-hmm. But I prefer, like you say, to take my equity. Just call. He priced me in. It's totally fine to just call and try to hit something. All right? So now with 440000 in the pot, the turn comes the eight of clubs. So our board is now king of hearts, jack of diamonds, deuce of spades, eight of clubs, so full badoogie. Uh, and then <laughs> we have the queen ten of diamonds. So we're still sitting here with just the open-ended straight draw and our opponent checks hmm that's very interesting 
seems like such a good card to barrel with all with all his stuff. I mean, unless he, like you said, he has something like tens. I kind of do. We think he would. Do, what do we think he do is doing preflop with like eights and nines? I, I don't think we would need to give him much of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think some of that, but not a lot. Like I said, I mean, the original raise from early position kind of counterbalanced that you have to count you have to balance that out with the fact that this guy has been opening a lot of pots from a lot of positions and this guy is a good enough uh the guy in the small blind is good enough to have noticed that so he yeah, might have a little bit more three bets with eights nines and maybe even some bluffs you know my favorite hand to um, just go crazy with preflop is ace five suited because that hand is never doing that badly against anything except for pocket aces. Yeah. You know, it's like 30% against pocket kings or ace king. It's like 30% against everything. So, uh, you know, maybe he's got, like he's mixing in like an ace five suited because maybe he sees me as a loose dummy too. He's like, well, one dummy raised, another dummy called. <laughs> I'm just going to three bet with whatever I have. You know, there's some, yeah. you can't rule that out, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but... If he's just looking at what positions we're in, he's not really paying attention to how we're playing, then it's like, wow, second position and third position are already in, so I should have a strong hand when I three-bet here, mostly. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's hard to range this guy, because I don't really know what what factors he puts more weight on. Right, right. I'm sort of, it's, I'm sort of split here between... Being really happy because it's like, oh, cool, we get to see a free river and try to make our hand. I'm trying to decide if he's ever trapping here. I guess he could. I mean, this is a pretty safe turn. Like, it's not like he now has to worry about a flush draw, you know, a backdoor flush draw or something like that. So if he does have something like kings, I guess he could check that kind of a hand here. Yeah, I mean, the only only downside to checking kings is that you give – you give a free card to straight draws, right? You don't mm-hmm. protect your hand. You give me a free card if I do have a queen 10, but he can't even be sure that queen 10 is in my range. I've already called twice. How much queen 10 do I have when I've called twice pre-flop, right? Right. So uh, he's probably not too worried about queen 10. He's probably putting me on a one-pair hand, maybe like a queen jack or ace jack, those kind of hands yeah. a lot. And that's kind of what it feels like I have. Uh, yeah, maybe like a king-queen suited. Yeah, I mean, I could have king-queen suited. But if I have that and he has... I mean, he, he has... He should have a lot of hands that beat that in his range. So like if he has pocket kings, it's really hard for me to have king-queen suited just combinatorically. But also, he should be value betting three times if he thinks I'm that strong. Yeah, if that's true. Right. This check here could either be a trap or just I'm worried that I'm going to lose the guy and it's much easier for players to call value bets on the river than it is on the turn because they don't have to worry about trying to face another bet later. So it's a pretty standard play with a strong hand to bet the flop, check the turn, and value bet the river. So his check to me doesn't necessarily signify, oh, he's giving up on the hand or he doesn't have that strong of a hand. I think the solvers do have us betting three times, though, when we have the nuts. 
So if he has a set of kings here, he should probably just bet it and hope that I can call. Right. Yeah, I do remember. It's funny, Mark Aliotto and I always used to say that, like, the bet check bet line was, like, the most reggae thing in the world. Like, it's like whenever you see it, you just you, you end up making some crying call and you're like, yep, he had it. Of course he had it. He did, of course did, he did had the bet. He did the bet check bet line. <laughs> um, so maybe with that in mind, uh, I guess I think, yeah, I think I lean towards just checking here. Yeah. I, I, this is kind of an interesting, this, every street of his hands so far me has been like, I think I do this, but I don't mind that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to lean towards just checking here. But if somebody wanted to fire like 175 here or something, I could be cool with that too. Yeah, and I think if you do that, you should know that your opponent is probably going to call that bet because he's supposed to have a hand a lot. Yeah. But if you do that, you have to be ready to fire again if you miss on the end. So in other words, you need to bluff when you don't get your straight. Mm -hmm. And you probably need to bluff even when you make like a pair of 10s. Because what we're really trying to do is get this guy to fold queens or ace-jack. Yeah. Maybe even sometimes fold aces or ace-king if you put enough pressure on him. Because when he... uh, When you bet the turn and he calls, you can't give up or you just really shouldn't even make that bet on the turn. To me, it's got to be a two-barrel plan if you choose to bluff here on the turn. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, and I th- and I think that's part of what leads me towards preferring a check, <laughs> is I don't know that I want to go that ham with, yeah. with Queen High, <laughs> you know. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I think it's close. I think that a solver would tell us it's a mix, probably seventy five percent check, twenty five percent bet, just to not be exploitable in any possible way. I think for practical reasons, it's better to just check this, play position. See what he wants to do on the river, right? Yeah. And maybe we'll get there, too. You know, if he has ace-king and an ace hits, we're going to make a lot of money on this hand. Yeah, exactly. Because we just don't have a lot of queen-ten in our range, even though we happen to hold it right now. Right. Okay, so uh, I agree with you. I check the turn. The river comes the five of diamonds for a final board of king, jack, deuce, uh, eight, five. So really nothing got there, guys. And our opponent checks again. What is going on in this hand? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe he really does just have like tens or nines or something. I guess that's possible. Or or he's just kind of going along with his turn philosophy, which was, well, if I bet again and this guy has eights or nines or fives or whatever, well, I guess fives is good now. Can't remember. I've already yeah, yeah, the, the river's river. a five. Yeah, the river's okay, a five. Yeah. But yeah, you but, mean you know, just but, any but small pair. Hands, yeah. Yeah. He might just be like, my best chance to get value from those kind of hands, which is what I'm going to assign mostly to this guy, is to check again and hope that he bets. But I know I know you, Clayton. I know you're going to bluff this river. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> see how I, I don't see how I can check this river. I mean, it's like I have queen high. I'm at the bottom of my range. Right, for getting to this point, I'm at the bottom of my range. This is probably the worst hand I'm ever going to have mm. when I get to the river. And generally speaking, those are the hands you want to turn into bluffs. I have zero showdown value. There is almost a zero percent chance that queen high is good, right? 
Yeah. So this guy has something, but he has something that he's afraid to bet again for whatever reason. Um, or he's choosing not to bet again. He could be trying to trap me, but honestly, my table image at this table, I wasn't that crazy at this table. This wasn't like, uh, oh, Clayton like playing 80% of the pots and three betting and four betting with nothing all the time. I have done that before in, in other tournaments, but I wasn't playing that way uh, at this table in this tournament at all. So if he's just kind of counting on me to spew, uh, I think it's a little misguided unless he knows that I have that tendency either from listening to the podcast or, <laughs> or knowing me some other way. Maybe, you know, he played with me before. I don't know. Um, overall, I can discount that possibility. And also rule out that he's got a monster. It just, the real question for me becomes, what the heck does the guy have? Is it tens? It feels like tens or nines or possibly that rare ace five bluff, right? Or something mm-hmm. uh, pre-flop. It really feels to me like pocket queens. Even though we block it, it feels like pocket queens or ace jack suited. Maybe ace-queen yeah. suited, which also has nothing. Like, if I check this back and the guy wins this pot with ace-queen, I'm just going to, like, shoot myself in the head. That is painful. Yeah, I can't do that to myself. I need to have some bluffs, right? I'm going to want to be able to value bet from time to time here. And so, even though I check the turn, I'm going to need to I'm gonna need to have some balance here. So, I decided to fire, as you correctly... <laughs> Assumed I would. <laughs> I put in uh, 285 into 440. So what is that? Roughly 60, 65% of the pot? Yeah, I was going to say maybe like 65. Yeah. Right. So I you know, I think that gives me, gives me a good price, a decent price to win the pot, but also it's not like a trivial call for him when he's got like the ace jack or whatever. And I definitely don't want to get looked up by ace queen, so I can't go much smaller than that. And in yeah. this tournament, there are players, he might be one of them, that can actually call you down with ace-queen. So you don't want to yeah. lose to that hand. You don't want to give that hand extra chips. Right. So you got to yeah, bet big it, enough. And, yeah, Yeah, and, and you know those other kind of hands that we thought were impossible, like tens and nines, they, those might even look you up if you make it like you know 165 or something. Yeah, and and the real reason for that is there are no value hands I'm going to be betting 165, I don't think. There aren't many. Maybe if I wanted to try to squeeze a little value out of ace-jack myself. If I had ace-jack here and I felt like, well, maybe I can get some value, like a a really thin value bet with ace-jack might be like 165 or 175. But yeah, otherwise, I'm never making that bet size when I have value. So I really can't make that bet as a bluff like ever. So. Yeah, so I had to go bigger, and he did fold. So I'm sorry, I can't tell you what the heck the guy had. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, my best guess is ace jack, right? Or ace or ten. So pretty much the same hand. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. Ace queen, like something like ace queen, also does make some sense, particularly ace queen suited. I could I could see that being in the mix as well. Yeah, maybe even ace ten suited. You know, pre flop, he's like, I don't want to just call with this, and these guys are kind of spewy. So let me just. Try to take this pot down, put in 106, and and then deal the next one, you know. Yeah. But instead, I, I got sticky, and then he's like, well, now what do I do? I missed everything. The guy called me on the flop. I'm not going to keep putting money in when Clayton's not a folder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm hard to bluff because I am relatively sticky 
So, and you have heaps of chips. Like I, you know, whether it should factor in or not. I mean, when I'm when I'm trying to bluff the chip leader, it's never fun. Yeah, like, bluffing. Looking, yeah, like, yeah. So you do get a little bit more street credit that way too, right? As chip leader, it's like, yeah, you know, this guy. It's trivial for him to call me, look me up. Well, I don't want to try to bluff him. I'd rather bluff somebody with a medium stack, right? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of people do do think that way, and that makes it that much more fun for me to have the chip lead. So, yeah, rolling along. Beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I hope to find out what that's like someday. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had the chip lead in a while. <laughs> it's okay to dream, Derek. It's okay to dream. All right. I know we're running late, but let's do one more, okay? Cool. All right. Um, let's see. Let me just check it out real quick. We'll go through this one just a little bit faster. I picked out a couple of hands, but as is always the case, you and I have so much to talk about every every street. So, And that's a good thing. I mean, that's really how you get better. Definitely. Right? Go deep, right? Go deep. All that's right. right. Here's another hand, actually, from the same level, uh, and we're still eight-handed. I, it might have been an eight-handed tournament. I don't think it was, but <laughs> I think this, I think, this... it, I think it actually is. Now oh, that you okay. I, I had forgotten about that, but I think you're right. Yeah, I guess it's an eight-max tournament, so... Uh, we are now at 3.2 million, and the next highest stack at my table is 1.8 million. So we are still tournament chip leader, and we have our whole table covered by at least 90%, right? So uh, life is good. Uh, a loose aggressive player opens in the hijack to 20,000. So you see this min raise going on very consistently in this tournament. For those who are interested in pre-flop sizing, in this high-stakes tournament, it was like all min-raise all the time. Everybody. Yeah. Um, I mixed that up a little bit, but most players just went with the min-raise regardless. Um, he's got uh, 500000 behind, and he's got a $3,000 bounty. Hello. That's a big nice. one for this level. Um, the loose player who opened in the other pot, that same guy who's on my immediate right, um, calls, and he's on the button this time. With only two hundred thousand behind, and he's got a one point uh, a eighteen hundred dollar bounty himself. We're in the small blind with the king of clubs, queen of diamonds. All right. I mean, I think so. Wait, he made it twenty k. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think we can call here with okay. our nice little comfy stack that we have. Yeah. Um. How do you feel about raising or folding? Uh, well, you did mention that this opener was lag, huh? Oh, yeah. And you know the other guy from the other hand. He's very loose. Did you say what the opener's stack was? Yeah, 500,000. 500,000, okay. And this other guy has 200,000. So, and the blinds are 510. You know, actually, yeah, I... I I think I actually do like a three bet here. Okay. Did I talk you into it, or did you just kind of reconsider? No, I think kind of looking back, going back to the the original opener being described as lag, you know, playing a lot of hands, I guess. And we got our friend that, you know, seems to play maybe too many pots. Yeah, for uh, sure. I mean, to our right. I guess the the downside is we are going to be out of position if we get called by either of these guys, or no, just by the hijack. Um, but we can we can tackle that if it happens. <laughs> yeah, no, we're the small blind, so we'll be out of position regardless. Okay. 
Yeah. So it's the hijack and the button. And then we oh, have okay. the small blind. Oh, okay. small blind. Okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, so I guess I should mention the big blind is um, a, a really tight uh, Brazilian player who hasn't gotten involved in, in any hands. He's unlikely to enter this pot no matter what we do. And if he does, he's got a big hand almost for sure. Tight Brazilian players didn't know they existed. Yeah, they're actually there are more and more every day. I've noticed a trend. There used to be you saw somebody Brazilian, you're like, uh oh, here comes the crazy. Uh, yeah. But now I think the Brazilians are are getting a lot better uh, and a lot tighter. Some of them are are maybe too tight now, actually. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that ACR does a lot of marketing in that part of the world. You see a lot of players from Argentina, Brazil, places like that. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think they have a skin like kind of dedicated exclusively to that. Ter- you know that. Yeah, they have to. They have to because a lot of the players come from that part of the world. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So now, what is your plan if you do three bet? If somebody else keeps raising, what what are you gonna do? I mean, I think we probably have to. I mean, despite despite the original opener being lag. I mean, I if he were to put in a four bet, I don't think I'd want. To necessarily get involved. Of course, everything depends on sizing and stuff like that. Um, but, man, our guy on the button, I mean, we might just have to get in against him and try to get this 1.8K. Yeah, yeah. So the sizing that matters to me is the size of that $3,000 bounty and the size of that $1,800 bounty and the size of my stack relative to theirs. So, mm-hmm. like, right now, we have $3.2 million. The most we can lose in this hand is 500,000. So what is that? About 15% of our stack? Mm-hmm. It's never fun to lose 15% of your stack. But would you gamble 15% of your stack to win 3,000 real dollars? That's a whole buy-in. Yeah. That's true. Right? So sorry, this sorry. is this is why I picked this hand, because to me, this is a PKO decision. If I three-bet here, I'm trying to get it in for 50 bigs with king-queen. Let's go. Right. So with that in mind, I'm wondering, I mean, it's a, it's a huge jam, but I'm kind of like, do we just jam it in? I mean, you could. Um, yeah, if we're calling off to a four-bet anyway, like let's say the guy has ace-king or aces or kings. I mean, if we're calling off against that anyway, you know, why not try to get him to fold like nines or tens or something because i actually want to gamble against nines or tens to win three thousand dollars yeah yeah i mean i want him to that's exactly what i want to happen i want him to have nines tens or jacks and when i three bet you're like you know what you are a chip leader bully big stack bully (laughs) and i'm never folding my nines to you i'm all in and now what do you think of that mr tough guy clayton and then Mr. Tough Guy Clayton is like, well, you're kind of right. I don't have that much, but you have $3,000 for me to win. And that's, that, I mean, that's a lot. That that $3,000 bounty, okay, at this stage of the tournament is worth, uh, let's see. I actually made myself a little chart to help me do this math. It's worth an extra, like, 600000 in chips. Wow. So it's like he put in not just 500000 but a million. Yeah, but the pot odds, you know, that really changes the pot odds. So now you want him to have ace jack, you want him to have, uh, you know, pocket jacks. It's not actually a correct call when he has queens, hmm. because there's so much money 
to win. And this money has to come out of this prize pool. It doesn't come out of the regular prize pool. It comes out of the bounty prize pool. So, right. you know, maybe I take some of these concepts too far. and Maybe it's crazy to want to get all in for 50 bigs. But, you know, I've got 320 bigs. Losing 50 of them, it doesn't really change anything for me. I'm probably still yeah. the chip leader in the tournament, to be honest. And now I have a shot at this very big bounty for the situation. Now, at the end of day two or on day three... A three thousand dollar bounty is one of the smallest remaining <laughs> bounties in the <laughs> tournament, but at this stage, that's a lot, you know. So I want to get it. Yeah. So I did three bet. I made it ninety one thousand, and my intention was to get all in pre flop with whoever wants to get all in with me. And you'll find actually surprisingly that king queen off does fine against a lot of hands. Yeah. You know, you just don't want to see ace king. You don't want to see ace-queen, and you don't want to see pocket-kings. Uh, you're not too happy to see aces, but you like aces better than kings, right? I mean, these mm-hmm. are kind of the pre-flop, the math of pre-flop poker, right? Right. Um, so it does suck when you run into aces or kings, and you don't block aces, but you do block kings, and you can fade all those possibilities for the fact that the guy opened from the hijack, and he's loose-aggressive. He doesn't have to have aces, and yeah. you know the other guy doesn't have to have anything. He's in there all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, hijack could literally have jack ten suited here, or ace totally. nine suited, or ace five suited, or even like six seven. I mean, yeah, he can have tons of hands. Totally. So we three bet. I'm very happy to take it down, by the way. But I'm actually more interested in getting into a coin flip for three thousand real dollars and seeing what happens from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like usually, not not always, but you're you're often sort of trying to avoid putting yourself in coin flip situations. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, I'm not trying to flip for my whole stack here. Um, but PKOs kind of change that. Yeah, and also having a big stack in a PKO changes yeah. that a lot because, um, you know, I, as long as I have everybody covered, and and you know, at this table I have everybody so well covered, like actually losing this pot wouldn't really make any difference yeah yeah you're still you still basically have everybody well maybe literally everyone covered i will definitely have everyone covered remember i start with 3.2 and the next biggest at my table is 1.8 yeah and now these are the spots where i think that this format plays into my strengths because i like to gamble and because i don't mind the variance it's like going for it here trying to get a bounty here even with as marginal a hand as king queen makes me really tough because now when they don't have anything they have to fold right and your first instinct was actually to call with this hand until i kind of talked you into three betting remember yeah yeah when my first instinct is like oh you hijack you have nothing you button (laughs) you have nothing i'm going to three bet and if you guys want to go let's go right and that also sends a message like if i end up getting into a coin flip versus jacks they're like holy this guy just put in 50 bigs with king queen even if I lose the pot, <laughs> even if I lose the pot, they don't mess with me anymore. So there's yeah. that equity, that vigorish too, that you have to kind of factor into, uh, you know, the decision as well. So that's why this this type of tournament is really just right up my alley, and I'll probably just keep playing as many of them as I can because it just really suits my my style. Um, these guys all folded, and I won the pot, but I thought it was an interesting spot because. 
I remember my mindset was like, how much you got? 500,000? Let's go. You want to put it in? Yeah. I'm ready. Let's flip a coin. You know? See, now this, this has me wanting to go play some PKOs because I want to gamble more. Yeah, <laughs> I gamble. Haven't been, I haven't been really gambling <laughs> enough. <laughs> now, you know, there's probably a PK, PKO expert out there that would listen to this podcast and jump out the window because I'm so wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, again, I do, I do not profess to be an expert in this format at all, but I do have, I guess, uh, you could say a line of logic that I follow in making these decisions. Now, if I had an average stack or even a slightly above average stack, like the, the opportunity cost of not having everybody covered is very, very substantial in these yeah. tournaments. So I would not take this this spot for 50 bigs if losing would mean that I'm now like an average stack in the tournament or that three of my opponents would have me covered. It's really important to have everybody covered. So yeah, you, you have to factor that in as well in a in a different way than you normally would. Right. Right. With 300 big blinds, you don't usually care like, oh, was does anybody have 310 big blinds? Am I, because <laughs> what is the likelihood you're going to get into a pot with that guy? But the right. fact is, in a PKO, that's that's kind of everything. Mm-hmm. You want to have them covered. So that's it. I have some more from day one. Maybe I'll do uh, in a future episode. Uh, this was a really fun tournament. I had a lot of spots like this one. Some of them end up going to showdown, and usually in those spots, Clayton gets lucky <laughs> or, or wins the coin flip or whatever the case may be. Um, there was one Teach in particular. Me. Yeah, there was one in particular where I got all in. Uh, with a pretty big, not a huge bounty, but maybe like a $1,500 bounty on day one. Uh, and I had ace-king suited versus aces in one. Oh, wow. <laughs> that guy, if he ever meets me in person, he's probably just going to punch me right in the mouth, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah you definitely ruined that guy's day. Yeah, he's like, can you believe this? The guy had 6%. Yeah, well, it's not it's not zero, it's six. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with me, man. I know this was a long one, but uh, I think last week was a little short, so they always even out over time, right? Yeah, we make up for it, but yeah, yeah it was definitely enjoyable. I feel like we've hung out like three days in a row because you you know you also jumped to my stream last night for a few minutes, so it's like it's like we were becoming best pals. I know. We got to stop eating like this. I'm gonna start drinking whiskey <laughs> or something. <laughs> That's what I'm working on. Yeah, you. yeah. So uh, tell us what's going on at TPE before we say goodbye. Yeah, so I uh, got some new series coming from. Well, of course, we always have uh, Andrew Broco's series rolling out because he is uh, the goat. So we got to keep his stuff rolling. Um, we have a new series from Arvis that we just got in as well, and then another series from uh, Danny N13, which uh, I think is getting close to wrapping up. I forget how many parts this is, but it's a it's a hand history review he did from the. Uh, from the big 55 on stars. So, um, yeah, all the, all the big guns are out. Very cool. I mean, just so everyone understands for as little as $25 a month, you can have access to all these videos that Derek just mentioned, plus every video that's ever been on the site for the last 11 years. I mean, it's just the catalog of videos is, uh, just, you'll never watch all the videos. You'll never get through all the content that we offer and for that price it's absolutely the greatest bargain uh, for anyone who's learning to improve his or her game did i say anything wrong 
Nope, I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I think we're approaching like 2,500 videos at this point. So, um, you know, pick your favorites and uh, set aside some time to, uh, to to watch video after video after video. Yeah, by the way, a lot of them are not short. I mean, it would take a long time to watch all those videos. Yeah. Um, so if anybody out there has done it, please let us know, and I'll let you be a guest on, the, on an upcoming podcast. You could you could rate the videos one through twenty five hundred for us. That'd be a great <laughs> episode. <laughs> uh, Derek, thanks so much for joining me, and thanks again for uh, opening up your streams for uh, people to root for me. It was really fun having everybody railing me and uh, you know being in my corner like that. It was a really good time the other day. Yep, I enjoyed it anytime, and uh, hopefully we get to do it again soon. Yeah, so for make, Derek... Make some more deep runs. Yeah, and you do one, too, so we can all rail you, and I can return the favor. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. So for Derek, Killing Bird, Ten Bush, and for everyone else here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun